Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. All right, well, thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here. And uh, if I don't know you, hello, I'm Micah. Uh, Just kind of want to give a brief update um, because many of you guys, if you didn't know, me and my wife obviously were here for um, years and years and are planting a church in in Phoenix, Arizona, right in downtown. And um, we've kind of given brief updates back and forth uh, since then. But I I tell you, we, it's been kind of wild, you know, when we talk about walking out in faith. Um, I I forget who I was even talking to. I think I was talking to you, Joe, before. He was like, how do you even start a church from nothing? And I was like, exactly that. You do it from literally nothing. (laughs) And you kind of just trust the Lord. And so over that time from nothing, it's funny because here I, I, would equate like when you do ministry here, it, it, you don't realize like when, when you move, it's like, oh, you know, there are certain things that you have parameters. You have a building, you've got chairs, you've got a sound system, you have uh, just just support, you have all those things. And then you move and you plant a church and you have none of them. And it's like, all right, go out and figure it out. So uh, I, I will say this, if it wasn't for the support of this church and it wasn't su- for the support of y'all, um, and I would even encourage you, like if you, if you don't believe that really... Um, if you're not a giver, giving is what allows the kingdom to go forward. And so I would say that if it wasn't for the giving um, people in this church, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be a church in Phoenix. So I would even encourage you, if you don't give faithfully, uh, I, I just really would encourage you. I think that there's even more that God can do through our yes. And so to really evaluate, even if it's just your fish and loaves, God can use it and multiply it. So but, but with that, we have a, I know that we'd sent a, vi- a, a video of our building and showed some things, but when, when we say um, we're in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, it's massive. And we had felt like God had told us that we were going to, we were going to be in downtown. And not only did we get a building downtown, it's actually funny. I tell people all the time, if you Google on Google Maps, you just Google Phoenix, it'll actually show you like on Google Maps, it'll pull up the city and the surrounding areas and it'll say Phoenix across it. And we are literally in between the H and the O. I mean, we are in the heart of downtown and it's been really, really cool to kind of be a part of what we felt like God told us years and years ago as we walked out in faith, praying and believing and walking alongside the leaders and the pastors here as we strategized and planned that out. But our building's coming along. Um, we, we, have a, we have a building. Our core team right now is, is close to 50 people. Just we knew, we literally knew three of them before we moved there. So, and not only that, every week we have people contacting us and asking kind of for more information um, about our church. And so my dad had mentioned, we'll actually start with our core team right when we get back. Um, August 7th will kind of be our first weekend of like really starting to build momentum to our launch. So August 7th we'll get back, we'll, is our first Sunday back, and we'll have full core team meetings of, of those right around 50 people. Uh, and then each week, all we're going to do is empower and champion people that if they have somebody who they feel like would be a good fit for their church, to bring them and then do some stuff with social media, do some stuff on college campuses and outreach in the city, and then build to the launch um, for our final weekend in September. So it's that's kind of the plan, and uh, I, we would really encourage if you guys are our prayers, if you're not, you should be <laughs> because you're only here today because somebody was praying for you at some point, right, mom? <laughs> My mom, every time I see her when I'm gone, you know, I pray for you every day, 
every day, this far from it, every day I pray for, pray for all my children, even my least favorite one. <laughs> um, but, but what I was, but what I was going to say is I, I just would really encourage you to be praying for us because like I said, that Fixate was birthed from this church. We went forth from this church and we're really planting through this church for many of you guys who, who didn't know. We, we f- didn't feel like we were supposed to go with an organization, not that there's not incredible organizations, but even me in studying scriptures, I loved um, the branching out from Jerusalem and Antioch and these cities and these churches that laid hands on people and commissioned them and supported them. And that, that biblical model, um, I believe, is, is where the grace is for us in this season. And so really, we've launched from this church and and we just thank you guys so much. And don't worry, we'll send you guys some videos when we launch. We'll show you kind of everything that goes on and kind of give a little testimonial. But, but this will kind of be uh, me and my wife's final time ministering here probably for quite a while. Um, and so we just wanted to thank you. And, uh, you, know, um, you know, it's, uh, I actually wrote this um, I was going to share this at the end, but I'll just do it now. Uh, this week, I was meeting with a guy who was uh, on our core team, and uh, he had actually reached out to me, and we'd been getting together to do some discipleship stuff, and uh, I was going through some old journals because I was, we had been strategically talking about how to live like an activated lifestyle of being in the Word, being in communion with God, and me and my wife kind of have a system that we've always done for that. But it was funny because I was going through these journals and I've read the Bible kind of the same way. And it's actually the Bible reading plan here. So if you're interested, check it out. But um, I've read the Bible the same way for years. And so I was showing him kind of the, like the faith, like I have stacks of notebooks where I've just read just consistently. And I can track how many times I read the Bible in a year, how many books I read in a year, all those things. And so we're just talking because he was just really wanting to get disciplined. And I was going through these notebooks, and one of these notebooks I didn't realize was an old notebook that I had of journal entries, which, no offense, I'd never really write journals. Like, and, and some Christians do, but like I said, it's, I, I just more take notes, and then if I feel impressions, I write it down. But I had felt challenged for a season in 2016 like seven, and 17 to write journal entries, and I opened up my, my uh, journal, and I had... I, the first one on this page was this note, and this is from January 23rd of 2017. And it says this, this weekend, for some reason, I I sensed a very deep stirring. I don't know why or really if I've ever had this before that I might plant a church in the future. We sang, I'll build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. In it, I felt such a drawing to possibly plant. I could feel the spiritual climate of an environment um, that I knew I was going to be stepping into with faith. I could just feel God telling me that I was going to be a part of something that would go into a dark area. Father, I pray that you would be near to my heart. Help me search your ways in accordance with your plan. I know how much my life revolves around you. Help me today and always to follow you closer. What's funny about this is that song, uh, I'll build my life is actually, and I didn't know this, is they're singing it after this message. And so I was like, oh, should I share that? And then I found out what the set was, and I was like, oh, dang, actually, it's King of My Heart, but it's Build My Life deal, too. I was like, okay. And I don't know who that's for, but I think this is kind of the segue into the message, because for me, I want to talk about something called Intentionally Changed Today. And, and I really want to come at it from the point of, 
This, is, this has been our journey together in planting this church, but I think a lot of the times today, what we as people want is we want to be changed, but we don't want to have any intention behind changing. So we want all the benefits of walking with God without any of the work to get the benefits of walking with God. And strategically, too, I've just been reading a lot on habit forming and habit shaping. And I'm going to say it like this, is we want all the benefits of following God with zero habits that are conducive to the growth of following God. And, and I want to take this a step further because intentionally changed, I think a lot of us, we have a very narrow focus of what changes. And what I mean by this is we have an idea of, okay, God, I want to change, but we don't understand. We're not changing for ourselves. We're changing for others. With Christ, it's not so much he's looking to transform just you. He's looking to transform you so that you can transform others, so that you can transform the world in his image. And, and this is where I think that it's, it's sad to me in America today is that we have so focused on change as almost in the narcissistic self, right? We focus on change for how can it help me? How can I get better? What can it add to my life? How much money can I make if I change? What? And, and so we look at change through a very selfish lens. Instead of the change that God wants is the change that leaves and makes a difference on this earth. So intentional change, what we're going to change the narrative of a little bit is that some of us, we only want to change for things that benefit us and maybe that don't benefit other people. Change with God is something that benefits you unto benefiting others. And I think a lot of the times this is what's sad is that, man, we, we want to change the areas or the only time we want to change to, that helps other people is when the people close to us, we're suffering fractures, we're running into problems, and we're realizing, wow, I have to change in order to keep that person or in order for that person to not feel slighted or that person to not want to distance it. Okay, that fo- so it's like a painful agent of change instead of a proactive approach to change, which is ultimately when we follow God. And I almost want to speak, and I've mentioned this in the past, but the religion of self-help in this country is essentially, I want to make myself better. But with God, listen, we, there is no making ourselves better. There is, I need to be a new creation because I was made in, in, in a fallen world and I live in sinful culture. And so within that, the, the, the ability for myself to make myself better doesn't exist. It only exists in God. I mean, there are plenty of great people in this world who've gotten it all by their own means. And don't get me wrong, that's, I'm not knocking them, but the sustainable approach of change that we walk out in is only tied to following God all the days of our lives. And so what I want to talk about is, is this intentional change, but I want, to ch- I want to look through the lens. We're going to look at a passage of scripture, but before we even look at that scripture, I want you to realize that once again, when I'm talking about change, I want you this morning to evaluate your change through the lens of does it impact other people? Because if I am not changing and impacting, right, I'm not changing at all because change should force you into the world as a change agent. And a great example of this, a few weeks ago, on a weekend on Saturday, uh, it was very warm in Phoenix. <laughs> uh, it was about what, I, it was the hottest day I'd golfed there this year. It was 115. And 
I was golfing with one of the guys who's really helping us a ton at our church. His name's Daniel. He's turned into a great friend of mine. And we were out golfing. And I remember I'm on the range before, absolutely sweating. And I, I'm dead serious. I feel like the Lord says this to me. It says, Micah, there's going to be somebody you're golfing with today that I want you to share your faith with, invite to your church, and ask if he needs prayer for anything. And, you know, I, I normally, I obviously, if you guys couldn't tell, I'm pretty out there with my faith. I have no problem with it. But at the same time, I like to warm up a little you know, not just like dive straight in, you know, I'm like, you know, let's, let's warm up a few, you know, all this stuff. And so I remember I hear this and in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, that's totally fine. I don't mind sharing my faith, but I felt such an urgency of you're going to talk to this guy today. You're going to tell him about your church. You're going to get his number and you're going to ask if he needs prayer and you need to do it. And I was like, okay. And so me and Daniel roll up to the tee box and as we're about to tee off, the guy says, well, you had two with you, but both of them, none of them are showing up. And I'm like, wow, I missed on that one, Lord. And some of you guys, maybe that's even a good le- learning lesson is sometimes you're going to feel things and it's okay if you felt wrong. But in this particular instance, we go up, we hit our balls and we're walking back to our cart and the stopper stops us and says, hey, somebody just walked in and they, they said they want to tee off right now. Do you guys mind if they go with him? And I just, yeah, yeah have him. And I'm like, okay, God, this is weird. So this guy runs up, he's all in a hurry and kind of a bustle. And he, and he hits one. He he could, he can hit the ball well, but he didn't hit it the best and drops like three F-bombs, just bam, just, and I'm like, man, we're, God's really, okay, here we go, Lord. We're going to, we're going to do this. And then he hits another one and first hole, man, this, he's, he's cussing and you, I can tell he's pretty rough. And I remember I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, this is fine. We're going to be fine, you know? So I, uh, over the course of three, four holes, we, we start kind of getting to know each other. And it turns out I learned a little bit about his life and where he's from and kind of some different things. And what's funny is, is on about the fifth hole, I tell, I tell Daniel, I say, hey, I felt like the Lord told me I was going to talk to this guy and that I was going to, I was going to ask him or tell him about our church, uh, get his number and ask if he needed prayer for anything, and, and really kind of a little, not, not share our faith like, you know, within the idea of proselytizing, but I just felt like there was something God was going to connect with, and so I was like, so just be prepared. <laughs> That's probably going to happen, because he was just, like I said, a little bit of a rougher guy, and I remember I'm, so we, we get caught behind a group, and there's a group right in front of us, and so we're stuck, and I get out of my cart, and I just walk over, and I say, hey, man, me and uh, actually Daniel here, we're, we're planting a church in, in downtown, and I'm a pastor. And he's like, what? <laughs> you know, so if you see me on the golf course, typically I have a ponytail, uh, uh, a visor hat on, very, very brightly colored clothes. He, used to, he was making fun of me the whole day because my legs were so tan. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, we are. And I said, and to be honest, I felt like before this round, I said, I was on the range and I felt like God told me that I was supposed to pray for you. And I was supposed to invite you to our church and I was supposed to get your number. And I said, I know that you maybe don't believe that or that's a little bit weird, but I do believe in that and I do believe God told me to do that. And he looked at me and he said, wow. He goes, I'm 34 and my brother's having, my twin brother who lives with me is having open heart surgery next week. And he said, I, uh, I'm a recovering addict. I was addicted to meth and was in and out of prison and just kind of got on my feet. And he said, that's crazy that you did that. And I said, well, I feel like, I don't know if you believe in God or kind of where you stand on that, but I believe God told me to ask you this stuff. And I I think we know the reason. And I said, I'd love to pray for you right now. And so we prayed right there. I prayed for his brother. 
prayed for kind of the season he was in and the stuff that was going on. And I, I got his number and he actually ended up texting me that night and I was heading out of town, but I, uh, he texted me that night how much he, he appreciated it and enjoyed it and, you know, how wild it was that I had asked that and he was going through some of the things that he was going through. And, and that's what I want to talk about once again to set the table for intentionally changed because for some of us, like I said, we identify as being changed by Christ, but we've never actually stepped outside of ourselves to see if we can help change somebody else. It's quiet. And what I mean by that is I, I really believe that a lot of us, man, in this day and age, it is so easy to identify as changed by Christ but not want to change others. Or if we do want to change others, it's just to our viewpoints, to our political desires, to whatever we believe or whatever we want, instead of actually stepping out and saying, God, I want my faith to change somebody's hard heart. I want my faith to change somebody's doubt. I want my faith to activate somebody's spirit. I want my change to change someone else. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about kind of getting to that place. And really, we're going to give just a brief acronym on change. But the reason this is all coming from... Uh, the reason this is all coming from is from a passage of scripture, and many of you guys know it. It's in Matthew 22, 1 through verse 14. That's where we're going we're gonna to spend most of our time today. But um, what I felt like is, is when we talk about change, I want us to, as we sit here, we're thinking about change through two levels, okay? The first level is, does my change change others? And the second level is, do I have habits and disciplines of change in my life? Because change is not a one day, one moment, one choice thing. Like, man, okay, I want to get changed. I'm changed. It's habits, it's disciplines, and it's intention that sees us actually walk out and change. And once again, I think all of us, nobody wakes up and just says, you know what? I want to live a life that doesn't have any meaning, any purpose, or anything to offer anybody. Right? Nobody says that, but what happens is, is our habits, our disciplines, our existence has nothing built in that refines purpose, that restores our image, that takes us in a new direction, and that ultimately changes us so we can change others. And I, I equate it like this, you know, some of you guys actually knew this, we were joking about it in the back, I think it was uh, Rod, we were back there, Rod Prowitz, and uh, and Scott Raddy, it was funny because uh, my mom tells me I'm overweight. It's a joke. <laughs> She's like, why'd you just throw me under the bus? Don't worry. Uh, but it's, it's it, I'm going somewhere with this. She's like, you better be going somewhere with this. Uh, but it's funny because I, I like to lift weights, but when I first started lifting weights, I was very small. And I remember when I first started lifting weights, I knew nothing about it and just talked to people I knew and went with people who just showed me stuff to do. And then over time, I developed it. And I think a lot of us, what happens is, is we want to change, but we won't go to anybody. We won't ask anybody to show us. And we'll barely even show up to church on Sunday. But man, we really want change. And I equate it like this. Like if, if we hired a spiritual or if we hired a trainer and we just walked in getting a lot of amens over here, right? If we just walked in and immediately as we walked in to the gym, somebody just said, all right, go knock yourself out. We didn't know anything. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know what to do. We didn't understand anything going on. 
How many of you guys know we probably wouldn't see results? We need people who will push us. We need people who know what to do. We need people who've been through it before. We need people who have had success in areas that we need success. All I'm talking about right now is why you need the church, why you need discipline, why you need habits, why you need people to push you. And once again, when we talk about change, it's so easy to want it, and it's a whole nother thing to pursue it. And so I want to encourage you, if you're somebody who wants to be spiritually strong, but you don't want anybody to walk alongside you, you want nobody to show you what to do, you don't want to do any research on what you can do to get stronger, or you don't want to be about a part of community, you're not, you're not getting strong. And no offense, you're, probably, you're not going to change. And so I want us thinking through these things as we realize this passage in Scripture that I believe um, God wants us focused on today. So this is the parable of the wedding feast, and I'm going to break it down, but it's, it's a little bit of an allegory for the kingdom, and I'll break it down, and you'll kind of understand why and what, where we're coming from today. It says this, Matthew 22, 1 through verse 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. While the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burn their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main road and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So we're going to get into change a little bit, but before we do, I want to kind of break down what's going on at this feast, right? And we actually have a list of people invited. Now, once again, I'm talking, this is kind of a scripture written in an allegory, meaning there's, a, there's kind of double meaning and a, and a purpose that God's telling. And essentially what I love about this is, this is God kind of giving a very broad strokes picture of what his kingdom was supposed to look like, right? And, and what I mean by that is you have the people who were first invited but didn't show up right? The people first invited who didn't show up, Jesus is essentially, and what we know now is, is those people were the Jewish people. They were the people God had the first covenant with. They were the people that God ultimately were, had, had engaged on a much deeper level than the rest of the world. And so there was a level of like commitment that was there that God was like, man, these are the first people invited. And guess what? None of them showed up. Then we got the second one, right? The farmer and the one to his business. I love this right? Because it, it, notice he focuses on two things, the farmer and the one with his business. And, and why he does that, right? For some of us, we're like, those are kind of odd things to just point out. And, and for me, I just found it so interesting because if you look, most of, most of the Old Testament is written to an agronomic society, meaning that there wasn't as much 
hard physical um, cash. There was raw materials. There was gold, silver, and, and, and copper and, the, and bronze and those things. But most of those things were not used as the currency. The currency was, was, was your harvest. That's what you used, whether to trade or to barter or to do these things. So essentially, God's, God's highlighting the farmer, and he's highlighting the business owner. He's highlighting two ways of providing that ultimately were the main ways to provide for yourself back then. And what he's essentially saying is I invited the Jews and I invited those and and I've invited those that were too busy for me. They were preoccupied. They got the business and they got the farm. They can't come. And I love this. Once again, we're going to break down kind of some narratives here within the invited group of people here because I think once again, we read the Bible and we're like, well, you know, those people should have showed up and the farmer should have been there. And the guy should have changed. And the people who murdered his servants were just idiots. (laughs) Right? But we don't put ourselves in this story as it pertains to what God's really saying is, I invited those, but they were too busy and preoccupied. I invited those. I wanted those people to come, but they couldn't pause their responsibility. They couldn't stop what they were doing. They couldn't just create time and margin for me. Man, I'm not going to lie. It's funny because it's almost like we took a break during COVID from that. And then now we're like trying to re-ramp up to the production level that we were. And we didn't learn our lesson that it hasn't been sustainable for a long time. And what I mean by that is, is, is if we live within the hustle and the bustle of life, right? It hasn't been sustainable for a long time because we weren't supposed to rely on our own strength. We were not supposed to rely on our own control. And if you rely on those two things, God will find a way to shatter them and teach you that it's not on you. And I'm speaking that mainly from experience at the church where where we see people come in and it's like, God, I give you the control. God, I give you everything. And then God says, okay, well, I'm going to remove the things that, that have allowed you to control and dictate. And I want you to build a life of faith and reliance on me. And the moment those things are removed, it's like, well, God, I didn't want those removed. And God's like, well, I, I don't compete with idols. And I think our productivity and, and sometimes our, our, our pursuit of, of acquisition of just stuff and things and status could be the very thing that's fighting against lordship. And I want to encourage you, it's, it's, I am not doubting or downing hard work or discipline or sacrifice or any of that. But what I am saying is that if it takes you away from God, if it takes you away, the farm and the business, then all of a sudden you might find out one day that the feast that you thought you were invited to, you can't show up to. And the third, right, the next one, right? So we're, once again, we're going through the list. The first were those invited who were the Jews. The second is what I'm calling kind of the preoccupied and the people who were so busy just trying to, to do things and, and line it all up and get it all going. And then the third, the third one, the murderers that had mistook that they were invited and killed the messenger. I love this one because it's so interesting because think about it. Hey, come to a wedding. They're killing a fatted calf and they're doing all this stuff and people are just like, let's murder them. Like, we don't put ourselves in this story a lot. Like, when I read this stuff, I'm just like, what is going on here? Because I'm not going to lie, like, later tonight, my father-in-law, he's smoking meats and he said, come on over at 6, I'll be there at 5.45. 
and I'm going to eat a small lunch. <laughs> right? Because when I'm invited to something that sounds good, right, I'm not going to look and say, let's, oh, that's terrible. Like, I'm not looking at, oh, I'm going over there. It's no way. Right? It's, it's, uh, and it's funny. I'm trying to frame it as a joke because what happens? They mistook the message. They mistook what was told to them. And whether they interpreted it as a threat or they interpreted it as something, I, we have no clue what they interpreted it as for them to kill it, but they mistook what was being told. And I would even say this. I think sometimes what we do is we mistake the gospel and we rewrite it in our own hands. We mistake what God says, or we take things that we really like and we throw out things we really don't like. And if we're mistaking the gospel, there will be a moment of, of shattering once again where God's essentially saying, I'm rewriting this through pain because that's the only thing that will get your attention to look through a different lens. And so what we have right now, remember we got the Jews, the people first who God wanted the most, which I wouldn't even say he wanted the most. He just was looking and like, man, nobody's choosing me. If I just pour out a ton of miracles, blessing, provision, and just crazy stuff, maybe these people will. And they were all just like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> then we've got the preoccupied. Then we've got the people who mistook the message. Then we've got after that, the highways, both evil and good. Essentially, this is the one where God just throws open everything and says, everybody's invited. He's like, I killed this calf, I killed this ox, and, and we're going to have leftovers for four years, <laughs> right? So he throws it all open, everybody's invited, and I think that's, that's the place that we're at today, right? Everybody's invited. There's almost this progression that's taking place where everybody's invited. God's message has gone everywhere. It's in, in our country, God's message has gone, I shouldn't say everywhere, but pretty much. And so everybody's invited. Everybody has this opportunity. And whether it's been miscast or maybe a little bit tinted or tainted through different things, that, that's another topic. But what I'm saying, the highways are open. Everybody's invited. But what we're talking about today with my remaining time is the man who wouldn't change. And the reason we're talking about that is because in this passage and in this particular parable or, or allegory, like I said, this is the longest description we have of somebody. So if you remember, right, we started with, well, we've got the Jews who were invited, then we've got the business, the, the, the business and the preoccupied, and then we've got the murderers, and we've got the highways and byways. And this one, what we have is we have somebody who's invited who just wouldn't change their clothes. And all of a sudden, it shifts, where we've got like five to seven to barely a verse that describes each one of these before this, and then it shifts completely and goes four verses on the man who wouldn't change his clothes. And I just find that interesting because ultimately that last verse, we've all heard it before, for many are called but few are chosen, right, is such a powerful, powerful passage of words. But what leads up to those words is something that sometimes we forget. And let's read it again, Matthew 22, 11 through verse 14. But when the king came in to look at his guests, and once again, if you remember, we read a total of, of four, 13 verses, 14 verses, and four of those are going to address this. We've went through all these other categories and we've given backstory and all this, but then all of a sudden the meat of everything is right here. But when the king came in to look at his guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment and he said to him, friend. I love this. Notice how he's addressing him, friend. Now we already know what's gonna happen at the end, 
But we're going to unpack what happens right before that. It says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. I want to pause on this. Because the reason is, is I think a lot of us, once again, let's think critically just for a second. Right? And he was speechless. Think about this. If you have a really, 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 really rock solid excuse as to why you didn't do something, when somebody asks you why you didn't do something, it can just spill out. You know what I mean? Like whenever we have an excuse for something that we believe is a good excuse, the moment somebody questions why, we just have the excuse that just just shoots out. So what's interesting to me is God starts with friend. He starts with friend and he asks him and there's nothing he can say. And almost what we're seeing here is this is more powerful than any excuse he has is the fact that he doesn't have an excuse. Think about that for a second. The the gravity of the moment is God thought he was a friend just because, oh, maybe there was a reason he couldn't change. But actually what was taking place is that the man just didn't feel like it and didn't want to. Think about that. The gravity of the moment is God's coming and saying, friend, why, why didn't you change into anything? And that's when it turns. And that's when it shifts. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot. Isn't it? God's not this, he's not this shifty, all over the place, emotionally person, right? Friend, why didn't you change? You know what? He just didn't want to. He didn't think it was important. He didn't really think it mattered. You know what? And then it shifts to, wow, if I invited you and did all this for you, but you don't want to change one thing, man, I don't even really want you apart. Think about it, right? I've done all this for you, but you don't want to do one thing? All I asked was for you to change. And in that custom, in that time, if you guys didn't know this, is that wealthy people would actually purchase garments for you to change into. All you had to do was walk in and just take the clothes. If you wouldn't do one one thing, I just don't even want you here. For many are called a few are chosen. And see, some of us, God has been inviting us in and inviting us in and saying, I've done everything for you. Will you change? And we want to sit in the table in the same clothes with the same attitudes and the same mindsets and the same habits and the same principles. And God's looking and saying, man, I don't even know if I want you around. I gave my son, I sacrificed the greatest thing I could ever sacrifice for you and you don't, we don't even want to change a little. And this story to me, like I said, spoke so much because of the list, right? The list that he gave and it's all encompassing. He starts out right with the Jews. Then he kind of talks about like almost like the, the people who own farms and own business. That's like the esteemed people who, who in that day and time, right? So we've got the Jews. We've got the esteemed people who are really preoccupied and too busy. We've got murderers. So then he like opens up this whole new quadrant of like super wealthy and able to provide for themselves and, and esteemed in the country to the, to the murderer and to the scoundrel down to the highway of everybody then we've got the one who just wouldn't change his clothes. And once again, for us today, many are called, few are chosen. 
But the one thing God's evaluating in all those is if we're willing to change. I pray that we don't find ourselves outside the feast because we wanted to be inside the feast but didn't want to change anything to get there. And so what I want to do, I've got a Habits of Change acronym. And this is it. This is just my final 27 seconds. And by that, about three minutes. Change, right? Each one of these, I'm going to give you just a quick thing. The first one is contemplative. We should pursue stillness and silence. We should seek moments in which it is just us and God and nothing else. We should be able to be people who can sit and be calm. And once again, I think that the contemplative mind, what I'm speaking of strategically, is that we should be able to be people who sit with God and could put pause on everything else. Because in this day and age, what it really means to sit with God, I think a lot of the times, is we try to sit with God and then we think of 14 to-dos, we get on our phone, then we got an email, then we got a text, and then all of a sudden I remembered what I forgot last week, and now I'm writing this out, and then, okay, all right, oh God, I gotta go. Contemplative is this place where we are deep in the waters with God, drinking of his spirit as it nourishes our souls. If we want to change, we've got to be contemplative. If we want to change, we need to view change as holistic. The whole of us. See, a lot of us, what we do is we want God to change us in a strategic area, and we don't realize that that strategic area, right, the strategic area of, uh, is, is actually much bigger than just this little thing. I used to hate, all my siblings are going to know what I'm talking about. I used to hate when I would grow up and I would get, you know, you'd get punished for like not doing your chores, right? And then what would happen is, is your parents would punish you for not doing your chores. And then immediately you'd try to give like a reason why you didn't do it. And then it would turn into a bad attitude. And then, you'd, and then you'd keep going, and then it'd be like, oh, so you want to keep going. And it would be like, it'd be like 15 layers quick. It's like, I thought this was just chores. Be like, bam, 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 bam. You know, but, but what it was is it was, it was this, and then it was this, and I didn't know it, and then it was this, and I didn't know it, and then it was this, and I did and then it was bam, 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 and then you're just like, all right, I'm done. I'm not leaving the house for three years. But once again, I think a lot of us, we come to God with this one thing and God's like, okay, but that one thing is maybe tied to this, these couple things here and how you function here and, and how when you're stressed out, you reach for these comforts and these comforts have created these bad behaviors and then those behaviors, you know what, you really never let go of them and then they became habits that, that led to addictions and then all of a sudden you have a stronghold in your mind of how you should function and why you should function that way and all of a sudden the holistic approach when God comes in is I'm going to address behavior, I'm going to address habit, I'm going to address mindset, I'm going to address how you function day to day. I'm going to address how you interact with people. I'm going to address your marriage. I'm going to address your friendships. I'm going to address your time. I'm going to address your finances. See, we want change, but we want none of that. God's going to say, listen, if you want me to change the whole of you, you better be ready when I come for the whole of you. The third one is activated, right? And the reason I say that, I told you the golf course story, right? If, if we want God to change us, but we don't want to be a part of changing anybody else, God is looking and saying, dude, I gave my son to change the world. 
We give ourselves to Christ because we realize that his plan is better than anything our plan could ever do. And most of the time, his plan involves helping other people. If you're just looking to help yourself, you pick the wrong religion. You can go find tons of religions out there that are all about self, actualization, realization, awareness, you know, manifesting, all that stuff that's all about self. You can do that all day long. There's tons out there because that's all our culture wants is the self. And then we realize that when we come to the end of ourselves and realize, man, it actually isn't about me. Activation is us realizing, right, that we must be activated in the Holy Spirit. And even some of us, when I think about activated, there's, there's spiritual gifts and then there's fruits of the Spirit. And if you want to even read these, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, I mean, these are, these are um, gifts of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, right? We've got all kinds of things, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Activation is seeing these things present in your life. And for some of us, we're like, God, I want to change. And God's like, okay, well, I'm going to activate you to live out these things that my spirit inside of you is wanting to live out. And we're like, okay, but I don't want to live those out <laughs> at all. <laughs> Contemplative, holistic, activated. <laughs> this one's so easy, basic, but also, man, we could preach on it for like a year in our country. Nice. Just not like, I didn't even say anything like crazy. Like I couldn't even make up a great rhyme or any. It's like, just be nice. Like for a lot of people, like you're changed just because you're a nice human today. I'm dead serious. I was in an in and out uh, about a month and a half ago. There was a dude singing the orders out, singing them. And I complimented him. I said, bro, I love that you are happy at work. You always sing those orders. I hope you get my order so you can sing it. And he looked at me and he was like, thank you. And I walked outside with my food. He didn't sing my order. He comes out later. He says, I'm the manager here. And he goes, are you from around here? And I was like, I was like, no, I actually just moved here. He's like, what do you do? I guess we're going there. I was like, well, I'm a pastor playing in downtown. A pa pastor? What kind of church? He said, all, what, all it was, I was just nice to him. Hey, great job singing. Sing some more. People were, he was just, what? You complimented me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, some of us, like I said, we want to change. And, and even for some of us who want to change the world, just be nice to people. That I can give you so many stories on that. But I have zero time. Contemplative, holistic, activated, nice. Man, this one is huge. Giving. And I'm not talking just about finances, but a thousand percent, I'm going to incorporate it, right? Finances and time. And I'm going to say this. We should be people who are known as givers. Yes. Our time and our resources, we should be known as people who are givers. Because in this day and age of self-accumulation, when you expense yourself on others, that is the greatest mark of the gospel. Is because when people can't repay you for what you've done for them, that's when you look at them and say, well, this is what God did for me. 
And once again, I think it's interesting because in this day and age, the world doesn't give any time or resources. If we come to church and we don't give any time or resources other than just on Sunday morning, what's distinguishing us from the world? If we're all about coming to church, right, we're at church, but outside of a church service, there is no resource or time investment. What distinguishes us from the world other than we gave an hour to sit? See, I, I, I'm not here anymore, so I don't have to handle the repercussions of if that offended people. <laughs> if, we're, if we're at church on Sunday and we are there, and by there, I mean average once every six, eight weeks, we're there, but we're not giving any time and we're not giving any resource. The world's doing that. All we're doing is giving one hour every six or eight weeks. What's distinguishing us? See, that's where the water's getting muddy is because Christians have stopped giving. And I'm not talking about just finances. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about resource. I'm talking about our, our hearts. I'm talking about going into the hardest and the darkest. I'm talking about feeding and helping and loving. I'm talking about all of these things because that was the biggest mark in the early church that just transformed culture is people who gave unselfishly. People who gave time and resource. It was like this new theological way of, of living that wasn't heavy, it was action. See, a lot of us, man, we have focused so much on the, on the headiness of knowing everything that we've forgotten that the hands are what show the heart. We should be giving. We should be eager. Eager. You know what eager is? Is it's not this like, okay, God, like, man, I hope I get time this week. Like, this is great. Like, eager is us saying, God, I want to help you build. What can I do? What can I do? I want to be eager to build. What can I do? Eager is looking for ways to be a part. Or if God's highlighting a change in your life, being eager to implement what is needed for that change to take place. And the last one disciplined. And I talked about this one a ton in here in the beginning, habits of discipline. Richard Foster says this, and it convicted me. The great need of today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but rather for people who are deep. The number one aspect me and my wife have going for us in Phoenix right now is if we get about an hour with people they're pretty much in. And what it comes from is we have established rhythms of depth. And when you get around deep people, there is something about them that pulls you in. There is something about depth that people who've been standing in ankle deep water, when they can jump in and cool off everything, there's a man, this is nice. And for once again, a world that is looking and searching for anything that can get them away from all the stuff that is going on and the feelings and the anxiety and the, and the mental, all of this stuff. If we've been drinking deeply, and the only way we get to drink deeply is if we have disciplines in place that take us to the well every day. Every day they take us to the well and every day we drink deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. If we're in that place, when we offer people water that transforms, it's something they can't turn away from. I pray today that you're changed. 
I pray today that we establish an intention of change and more than anything, that we use our change to change others. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for our church. God, we thank you for the people who are here. We thank you for grace as I've went way too long this morning. But God, I just pray right now that there would be a realization that you're a good God and that you're worthy of change. You're worthy of of us changing into your image because that's what it's about. It's not us changing to help ourselves. It's not us changing to be perfect. It's not us changing to be just robots, but it's us changing to be Jesus on earth once again. So God, we pray as we worship. God, we pray as we worship today that you would move the needle in our disposition to change into your image, God. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Jesus' name.